Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Thank you. Uh, please, please be seated. It's a real privilege to be here. This is the only time in church you're allowed to take out your mobile phone. So if you've got a mobile phone, take it out right now. Because as you probably know, um, one of the exciting things tonight is that my daughter is a finalist uh, on the Australia's Got Talent thing. And in a moment, in a moment, we're going to show you a little video clip of her. She got the golden buzzer in her semi-final and at seven o'clock tonight it starts. And there's going to be a very brief window. I can tell you this about the final because it's already been taped but no one knows who the winner is because the winner is going to be decided by votes and that's where these come in. Um, That's where these come in. Um, You are a captive audience and because Jesus loves my girl and she's full of faith, we're going to give her a chance. Uh, All over the the country, people are going to be watching Jennifer tonight and um, she has been, hope she's been praying for this opportunity to break out. I'll show you a little clip in a minute, but what you're going to need to vote is the 7 Plus app. So if you go to the app store and you've got, you've got 7 Plus already, you're getting it right now. So if you get the, go to the app store and, and find the 7 Plus app and download that, because that's one way to vote. Uh, the second way you can vote is you can do it by SMS, but you have to have premium SMS uh, set up on your phone or else they won't let you kind of because I think it costs you 50 cents I think to do it and you can do it online but no one's or you can do it online you could even do that um, and we're going to give her a little chance let me show you a picture of my daughter singing in the semi-final this is you're going you're gonna to like this if you haven't seen it before okay let's have a look Turn your dream 
Well, they're all set up down in the back, so later on, if it's not, we're, we're going to be, we're going to be uh, doing something more important for the next little while. But uh, the show starts at seven. She's not likely to be up first up. But if it is, they're going to cut in and stick her up on the thing, and Jesus will be happy with that because he's for her, not against her. <laughs> that's, bless God. Well, that's the last thing we're doing tonight. I want to talk to you tonight about the fingerprints of God. How can I know that Jesus Christ is the real deal? The largest meeting we ever held in our church was the night I debated an atheist. He was a real Richard Dawkins fan and he read The God Delusion and he was convinced that he could come and help us out by telling us how deluded we were to think that Jesus Christ, you know, might actually be the king. Uh, during the debate, we had, uh, we, it was a great debate, by the way, we packed the place out. We had over 1,500 people bought tickets to get into the place that night. Um, at one point in the debate, we got to ask each other a question. My question was, what do you think about Jesus? What do you do with a person like Jesus? His response was, oh, well, he was just a person. Uh, he then asked me a question. And his question was simply this, how do you know your religion is true? It's a great question. Uh, how do you know Jesus is the right one? That was what he wanted to know. And it's a great question and it's worthy of a great answer. And it ought to get an answer bigger than, well, I just feel it's true in my heart. Because lots of people think things are true in their heart. And when you hear people sometimes sing a song, it can't be wrong when it feels so right. Well, that is a pretty corny and a totally inadequate view of how you know something is true and worth betting your entire life on. Um, I wish I could have my, that, my time over again in that debate, because if I, if I could, I'd answer a lot more simply than I did on the night. Uh, if I had a chance to say... Uh, to do, answer that question again would be very simply this let me talk to you about the fingerprints of God in the life of Jesus the fingerprints of God the authorities in the life and the ministry of Jesus are the seven most significant fingerprints that speak to every person who want to know why you think Jesus Christ is the real deal the first you could argue over if you want but the Bible records this in Mark chapter 1. Immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes and the Pharisees. When Thomas Jefferson was penning the articles of the American Declaration of Independence, he started it with these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. A fascinating thing to say. Really, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Well, let me ask you, Thomas, how come it wasn't self-evident to the Greeks? A lot of people in Australia think democracy was invented by the Greeks, not, not the version of democracy we get to live in. Because, you see, if you were in Greece in the days of Plato and Aristotle, <laughs> there was not a hint that people were created equal. Uh, their version of democracy had nothing to do with the equality of all people. It had to do with the equality of a few people. Women weren't equal. If you were a citizen and you had certain standing, well, you were very equal. But other people were treated like animals and like dogs. And it wasn't self-evident to the Romans. 
The only reason Thomas Jefferson can write in the 1700s, we hold these truths to be self-evident, is we'd had 1700 years of bathing in the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus brought insights to humanity that have totally changed Western civilization. And one of the tragedies of the average Australian is that he lives under the benefit of the ministry of Jesus teaching without having a clue where these things actually came from. A lot of the issues that have emerged in recent days, people think we must have thought this, all, this stuff up. We're all so morally and spiritually brilliant. We didn't need to be told this stuff, but in fact we did. And it was the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. And I challenge anyone, point out to me one fallacy in the teaching and the ministry of Jesus. Because I can point out fallacies in everybody's teaching, but not in his. And it is very, very difficult to find a person who can take the, the ministry and the teaching of Jesus and say, look at what he said, how dumb is that? Because when Jesus Christ spoke, he spoke with the authority of heaven. And one of the reasons we live in a benign society as we do today is that we are the beneficiaries of 2,000 years of minds having been influenced by the miracle of what Jesus brought to the world teaching that causes the life of every human being to prosper if only they're willing to allow it to enter their life. That's, a whole, that's worth a whole talk by itself. The second fingerprint in the life of Jesus was his power over sickness. The Bible says in Mark 1, now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they, they told Jesus about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. And that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or who were oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases. Jesus demonstrated an authority beyond that which is possible for a human being in his power over sickness. And you say, Al, why do you believe that stuff? I mean, how, how do you know that's not just a lot of nonsense written in a book? Well, because I've had the experiences myself having the privilege of standing with people and watching the name of Jesus have an authority over sickness, disease. And in, my, in the case well, in India, where in 1985, I had opportunity to preach in a village one night. And as I was preaching under the palms, they brought a blind man in and sat him right down in front of me. And and that night, as they brought that man in, I knew in my gut that God wanted to do something for that man. And at the end of my message, I preached about Jesus. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs upon a tree. Jesus Christ broke the curse of the law and opened a door to heaven. And at the end of it, I stood that guy up and I prayed over him and he fell on the ground and he was yelling out in his own tongue. And I said, what's he saying? And they said, he's having a vision. And they were describing the vision to me. But at the end of him yelling out that vision, he was still blind. And I was a bit disappointed. I thought, God, I thought you were going to do something. Well, he did. Later on that night, that guy came running out into the village, screaming his head off. And he told me afterwards, my blindness was like looking at two gray curtains over my eyes. And suddenly the curtains caught fire. They burned away and I could see. And he came screaming out into the village. Half the village came to Christ that very night. That night I watched the power of Jesus' name do stuff that the average name of anybody else cannot do. That the fingerprints of, on Jesus Christ's life, the power over sickness marks him out. 
as someone who's not just a philosopher, but someone who is carrying an authority beyond that which human beings can exercise. The third fingerprint in the life of Jesus was his power to forgive sins. You cannot imagine, when, if you deal with mentally ill people, if you deal with people who need help with their mental health, the power and the authority to forgive sins is one of the most remarkable gifts that you could imagine. The Bible says this, And they came bringing to him a paralytic man carried by four men. And when they couldn't get near Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they'd made a hole in the roof, they let down the bed on which the paralyzed man lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there and they were questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they were questioning within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? What's easier to say to a paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and walked out in front of them so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. One of the greatest things you can ever hear in your life. Is there a place, there's a place that human beings can go to resolve the pain and the weight of the sins that we've committed in our life. And if you're a perfect human being, God bless you, maybe you don't need it. But funny thing is I've never met one of those yet. Our lives are full of sin and many of us have been living like the devil. And God comes to you with grace in the name of Jesus and says, ask and it shall be given you. Ask for forgiveness in the name of Jesus and you can be forgiven for anything. And by the grace and the love of God, if your mental health has been damaged by virtue of the fact that you've lived an imperfect life and it troubles you, know there is a place you can go with your damaged heart and know that the forgiveness of your sins can be found there. The fourth fingerprint in the life, every one of these things is worth opening up for a whole night. The fourth uh, fingerprint in the life of Jesus was his power to speak to the elements and command them to behave. The Bible says this, and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling, and Jesus was asleep in the stern on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said with one another, Who is this? Even the wind and the seas obey him. I can't move a paperclip by the exercise of faith. But over and over again, Jesus demonstrated that even dumb stuff behaves when he speaks. One of the most interesting questions that faces science to today, to this very day, is what is the universe actually made of? 
I mean, what is matter? Now, when I was in high school, it was a lot simpler than it, was, than it is today. When I was doing uh, year 11 and year 12 physics and chemistry, we said, well, we, we all know what stuff is made out of. It's made out of atoms. And we, well, what are atoms? Well, we know that they're made up out of protons, neutrons, and electrons. Anybody knows that. If you were doing, back in the 60s, you were doing physics or chem. Yeah, we know what stuff's made up. Problem is, we kept on burrowing. We started asking questions. Well, well what's a proton? What's a neutron? What's an electron? And the further down the rabbit hole we went, the more extraordinary the story became until the question is, what is the quantum of existence? What is the smallest possible indivisible piece of substance? And the answer is no one has a clue. It seems to be it's like a vibration. It's like as if someone spoke and all that substance is made up of is, is vibrations that somehow... Somebody spoke, and to this day, the owner of that speech has little dogs that obey him. Every time he speaks his voice, the substance of the universe knows who is in control, and it simply conforms to the word of his mouth. Jesus could speak to water and, and turn it into wine. He could speak to dumb bits of bread and bits of dead fish and they start multiplying because of his word. He can speak to the dumb waves and the dumb sea and it obeys him because the substance of the universe itself is nothing more than the consequence of the spoken word of God. God spoke and said, let there be and there was and the substance of being itself is made up of those vibrations and by the grace of God, he has control over it all. The fifth fingerprint in the life of Jesus was his capacity to master death. The Bible says, there came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be, be made well and live. And he went with them. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler, only believe, do not fear, only believe. And he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was and taking her by the hand, he said to her, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. The very reason that Jesus Christ was crucified was as a result of two things. Firstly, his claim to be the Son of God, which the Jews perceived as blasphemy. But the second was, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, it was okay to, to, to raise one of these little, this little girl, because all this took place in, the other, in another part of Israel. But when he raised Lazarus from the dead, it was only two miles away from Jerusalem. You see, in other parts of the country, it was the scribes and the Pharisees who had the rule uh, in, over the synagogues. But the Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead. So raising someone from the dead wasn't a theological crisis for them. They thought, well, that's fair enough. But, you know, we always believed in that. But the Sadducees who had their rule in Jerusalem, they didn't believe for a minute in the resurrection of the dead. And then he goes and raises Lazarus from the dead in Bethany. You could walk there in 40 minutes. And people did that. They came piling out of Jerusalem, turning up at Lazarus's house to talk to him until the Jews in Jerusalem start realising these aren't stories anymore. And if we don't fix this dude up, 
We'll have everybody in the country believing in him and then the Romans will come and wipe us out. And as a result, it was the power that Jesus had over death that was actually the death warrant as far as he was concerned. They had to kill him because he kept raising people from the dead. The fingerprints of God, the power of Jesus Christ over death itself. But here's the one that got me. The power of Jesus over demons. The power of Jesus over Satan and over evil spirits. The Bible says in Mark 1, And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Shut up and come out. And the unclean spirit convulsed him, and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even unclean spirits. And they obey him. I grew up in a Lutheran church. And one of the big questions I had when I was a kid, I never really articulated this until afterwards, but if, if I could have articulated it, this would be my real question. How do I know that all of this worship and faith that we do in our church is the real deal? And I kind of figured, well, it's a faith thing, Al. You know, you'll never know till you die. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, you've got to believe it by faith. And at the end of the day, you'll never know if it's ultimately true till you die. And then if you die and there's something out there, well, then you'll say, well, blame me down. Look at that. It was panic. It was, you know, it was the true, real deal. Because that's fairly late in the game to get that sorted out. But I had no idea how would you ever know if this stuff was true. Well, then came the charismatic movement. I want to tell you, the charismatic movement turned my Lutheran experience upside down. First, my wife gets baptised in the Holy Spirit and starts speaking in tongues. My mother had the same experience. Then I found myself reading a book called Can a Christian Have a Demon? And seven days later, I find myself having an encounter with a demon myself that I never imagined was even possible. Fascinating experience. I had my Sunday school superintendent uh, fell in love with a yoga teacher over the back fence. He was a married man with four kids of his own, but he got the hots for the next door lady. And of course, uh, he went away for seven days to a prison for the criminally insane because the dude was a psychologist. And he had a friend who was a psychologist and who was working in a prison. And so he went to the, this prison for the criminally insane and there for seven days he contemplates what he's going to do with his marriage. Am I going to stick with my wife or am I going to go with the yoga teacher? Well, but after seven days of hanging around with demons, you'll come up with some very different ideas on life. He went home, nicked off with the yoga teacher and it profoundly damaged his household. Now, one of his kids was a, was a daughter, her name was Christine. And Christine was a friend of mine. She attended the, the Lutheran church. Funny thing was, you know, I once went to this same dude and I asked him a question. The, the very text I just read to you about Jesus casting out demons. And I said, look, mate, you're a psychologist. What do you think about this stuff with Jesus casting out demons? And he said, oh, well, that's because, you know, the Bible was kind of written a long time ago. And people were really ignorant. They didn't, they didn't know about mental illness. And so they called it a demon. So I guess that's what's happening here. Well, he, he needed a, a little broader education than that because he was living with a few demons by this time. And that infected his family. And from the time that he abandoned his household, his daughter Christine went into a very deep depression. And over the next two years... Every time we were in a room and we'd start talking about Jesus, she'd start poop, 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 poop. She'd start this sobbing thing and have to leave the room. 
Well, we were at my home. I'd preached at the local Baptist church and she was there with a few other people. And we were talking about the power of God and the goodness of God. And she starts this blubbering thing. And I said to her, look, don't do that. She said, I can't stop. Now, I'd just been reading a book on can a Christian have a demon. So I thought, I wonder if this could possibly be like not just her. So I'll do a little experiment. So I just said, in the name of Jesus, leave this girl alone. Well, you would have reckoned I'd plugged her into a 240-volt light socket. <laughs> she, she just goes kaboom and falls flat on the floor. And now she's screaming her head off. Ah, ah. In the name of Jesus, leave her alone. And, and now she's screaming, something's trying to strangle me. Something's trying to strangle me. And right at that moment, the phone rings. And it's her mother. Where's my daughter? Oh, no problems here. No, no. No, she'll be home really soon. I hang up the phone. Now, later on, I came to see these extraordinary patterns that when demons were being cast out, these kind of strange things would happen. I had a friend of mine who on two occasions, casting demons out of people, there's a knock on the door and two people turn up. One time it was Jehovah's Witnesses and another time it was a couple of Mormons. Just right at the time, demons are coming out. Well, in the book that I just read, you rebuke demons and they come out. In my kitchen, they kill people. So now she's on the floor screaming her head off and I get down on my knees and I say, oh, Jesus, help me. Come out, you foul devil, please come out. And the amazing thing was, for all of the lack of faith I had, bam, that thing came out. And you can't, you can't play yet. No, it's no, no. Uh, I thought, what's that? That, that's, that was, that was kind of creepy there for a moment. That was... Now, you can play soon. You're a very lovely person, but just wait for one moment. Because if you play now, I won't, I won't know how to finish this thing. thing. Right. Nearly, we're nearly there. That night, bam, out that demon came and she was so beat up by those few minutes of prayer, we had to carry her out of the house. That was my first experience. On that night, I saw the power of Jesus' name in the life of a demonised person, even with the little bit of faith that I had. And it was the more that I reflected on this, I, mean, I realised that I'd already had my own personal encounters with demons. See, when God first called me into the ministry... I was so scared about uh, responding and wanting to be a minister, I ended up getting depressed myself. And on one occasion, uh, one afternoon, I felt like a black truck ran over the top of me. I was at, I'd never been depressed one day in my life. And I'd just been going out with Helen for maybe six months. And it was, we were already thinking, that, you know, we had a future together. I'm out in the front yard and it's like a black truck ran over the top of me. And immediately I was just covered with a sense of hopelessness and a voice was saying to me, get that girl out of your life. You've got to get Helen out of your life. You know, that girl's the problem. The reason you feel like you do is because of her. Well, I got in my car and I drove around to Helen's. And I knocked on her window and I said, I don't think we can go out anymore. And she said, why? I said, I don't know. But well, I don't think we should. And, and then I drove to my sister's house because I was so deeply dark over this in this moment. And here I am saying things to Helen that don't make an ounce of sense. We sat there and we talked all night about it and it, it didn't make any sense. So I drove back to Helen, knocked on her window and said, oh, I think we'll be okay. But, <laughs> but for, the next, for the next nine months, it was just horrible, this darkness that came over my life. And that used to come and go in my life. 
right through when I had begun preaching at the high school. And what used to happen with that little darkness, again, like voices. Uh, we used to have our home open on a Friday night to the, the local kids. And they'd all come. Thursday, I'd start getting this dark feeling. And then one particular weekend, it was horrible. I was just so deeply depressed all through the weekend. And it was like this voice was saying in my ear, you've got to stop talking to the kids. You're making a fool out of yourself. Everybody thinks you're a flipping idiot. You've got to cut it out. Nag, nag, nag. It was like this voice going in my ear. And I was so depressed, I eventually went and lay down, went and got in a hot bath. I thought, well, I'll have a bath and see if I can feel any better. And it's while I'm lying in the bath thinking about this that a thought comes to me. Um, you know, yeah, you're an idiot, you're telling everyone about Jesus, you're making a fool of yourself. And I thought to myself, yeah, but at least I'm doing the right thing. I'm giving these kids a chance. And even if none of them ever come to Jesus, at least I will have been obedient to God. And in the middle of all that, I spoke out loud. I said, Satan, I don't care if I'm depressed for the rest of my life. I'm still going to follow Jesus. I just said it like that. Within seconds, the room began to clear. And 20 minutes later, I couldn't even remember why I'd been depressed. What, what the heck was that? And I started to realise someone's been, someone's been yanking my chain. I'm a target. I hadn't realised that just because you're a Lutheran doesn't mean, and just because you live in Australia, doesn't mean the demons can't give you a hard time. And I didn't know how to protect myself. And over the years, experience after experience, I watched the power of Jesus. Let me tell you the most exciting one of all, and then you can start to play. <laughs> I led a young girl to Christ in high school. And she, there was a young motorcycle policeman who was taking her out. By this time, I was a youth pastor. And um, he, he wasn't a follower of Christ. And he was going out with her, trying to take her out. And he made a pass at her one night. And she rebuked him in Jesus' name. And he dropped unconscious on the ground. And then when he came to, she said to him, yeah, you better go see my pastor. So now this motorcycle policeman turns up in my office. And he, he comes in my office and sits down. He tells me the story. And he says to me, what happened to me? And I said, well, we'll get to that in a minute. Let me tell you about Jesus first. So for 40 minutes, I talked to him about Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, yielding his life to Jesus. And at the end of 40 minutes, he said to me, I think I want to give my life to Jesus. So I said, all right, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. So I led him in a prayer. And the next thing you know, bang, he falls off the seat, bam, on the ground and starts writhing around like a snake. Well, I'd seen that before. It wasn't particularly incredible, so I went and got a cup of coffee. <laughs> and I just waited until he calmed down. And when he finally came to, I said to him, listen, young man, you are demonised. I don't know how it happened, but you are. And here's the deal. I could yell at it right now and it might come out. But if I, if you've already now had a couple of these experiences. It's knocked you out a couple of times, knocked you off that seat. If I was you, this is what I'd do. I'd get baptised and give my life lock, stock and barrel to Jesus. Tomorrow we've got a healing meeting. If you are ready to follow Christ with your whole heart, you come tomorrow, I'll baptise you and Jesus will set you free. So that was, that was on the, the Monday. On the Tuesday, he turns up. We got 40 people in the room for the healing meeting. I spoke for 10 minutes on baptism and out he came. Out he came to get baptised and an old lady dying of cancer and a young lady came out as well. They'd never heard about baptism, so this was their chance. Well, we want to get baptised too. I take this policeman and I stick him in the, in the, the tank and I baptise the dude and this demon comes up and goes nuts. He's screaming and wailing like a banshee. Wah, wah, 
out. And every now and then he sees me and he goes under the water. Well, I go in and I get him and pull him up again. And he sees me, well, no, he goes back under the water again. And I reckon he got baptised a dozen times, man. <laughs> and it's, it's on for young and old. And I said to the guy next to me, he's not getting out of this tank till this thing leaves. And he's screaming and wailing and thrashing around. And eventually I got sick of it. I got him by the ears and I pulled his face up close to mine and rebuked that demon and his eyes went bright red and bam, out it came. He sat there bawling like a baby. Oh, Jesus, I'll follow you all the days of my life. He gets out of the tank and sits there and the Holy Spirit fell on him. He starts speaking in tongues. We got the old lady in the tank. I baptised her. She starts screaming, the pain's gone, the pain's gone. We get the, the next lady in. I baptised her. She starts screaming, oh, the glory of God. We get all the people out, line them up. They start falling down. Oh, my ribs were broken in the caravan. God was everywhere, all over that place. It was this issue of the power of Jesus to break the bondage of unseen evil spirits that changed my life completely. The fingerprints of God. How do you make a demon obey you? What do you do? Tweak its ear or what? No, there is a name. Even if you don't understand who Jesus is, they do. And by the grace of God, there is a king who has authority over Satan, over evil spirits. And if you need help, he's the one to go to. I discovered that there are two things that are the key to touching the power of God when it comes to demon power. The Bible says, and they overcame Satan by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. You've got to understand his death on the cross was for the total forgiveness of your sins. And when you lean into the blood of Jesus, lean into the cross, God can see you as totally and utterly forgiven. And then the important things becomes the word of your testimony. When I sat in that bathtub and I said out loud, Satan, I'm going to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. As I said it out loud, that fog dissipated. And I discovered I've got authority over this. I don't have to sit under this black cloud. If I'm willing to trust the blood of Jesus and open my mouth, I can change the atmosphere. And I've never lived under that thing from that day to this. One last thing and then we're done. You can start to play because we're nearly there. <laughs> Here's the last fingerprint in the life of Jesus. The Bible says, in passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Here is the last area of Jesus' authority, his authority over people. You know what's stunning? It's the only area in which Jesus is ever defied. You see, when it comes to teaching, Jesus nails it. No, no truth ever gets away from Christ. When he utters it, it's absolutely true. No sickness is capable of withstanding his word. No sin can persist beyond his forgiveness. The reality is that the elements themselves will obey him. Death responds to him. Demons and evil spirits respond to him. The one area where Jesus is resisted is in the hearts of people. Because you see, he will not force or impose himself on you. He invites you. You need to come. You need to come of your own volition. You need to respond from your own will. And say, Lord, I will. I will follow you. He will never force you to do that. To do that. Call on his name. Embrace the call of Jesus on your life. And give yourself to him without reservation. The only question you've got to answer is, will I obey? 
Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. He that follows me will not walk in darkness. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm meek and lowly in my spirit. The question is, will you respond to him? Will you bow your heads with me tonight? Father in heaven, I'm so grateful for the demonstration you gave in the life of Jesus. The fingerprints of authority, the power of heaven at work in the life of Jesus. I want to reaffirm tonight, I trust you. I will follow you all the days of my life. I have no other place to go. I pray for these people tonight. I don't know who they are, all of them, and I don't know why they're here, all of them. But I do know this, you love these people and you're for them and not against them. And I pray tonight for those who've often wondered, how do you know Jesus is the real deal? I pray tonight that you will have just breathed upon their heart and that tonight it would be possible for them to say, Lord, here I am. If that's you tonight, if you would be willing to respond to his call to forgive your sins and open for you a doorway of life, if that's you, and if your heart's soft tonight, simply a matter of asking and I'll lead you in prayer. If that's you and tonight you want to ask, I want you to lift your hand right where you are. Just say, yes, Lord, that's me. I'm going to ask. Is that you? Lift your hand right where you are and I'll see it. And together we'll pray. I'll pray for you right where you are. Is that you? Good, good on you. That's the way. And so I know it can be a struggle. Yeah, and there's, often there's a, there's a war goes on in your own heart. Do I really want to do this? I don't know what it'll be like. No, I understand that. I see your hand too, sir. I got it. I get it. Who else is willing to say yes? Who's willing to say yes? Yes, Lord. Here I am. Here I am. Okay. I want you to take your hands and put them right here. Put them on your heart. Put your hands on your heart. Now, we're going to help you pray because this is all you have to do. You just have to ask and it'll be given. And I'll lead you in a simple prayer. And if you, if you can say honestly what I'm about to say, you say it out loud too. Don't just say it in your head. Say it out loud. And we'll all help you so you won't feel embarrassed. Say these words. Lord Jesus, I need help. I have made a lot of mistakes. And I am sorry. Please forgive me. Come into my life. I've heard you died for me that I might be forgiven. I accept your forgiveness. Come in and I'll follow you all the days of my life. Now, Father, this is my prayer. Holy Spirit, touch touch them. Holy Spirit, flood into their hearts with a sense of peace they've never known. Holy Spirit, fill them with yourself. Put the power of life right where they are and let your kingdom come. Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au.